My name is Claudia Martin, and I'm the co-director of the Academy of Human Rights and Humanitarian Law at American University Washington College of Law. My area of work centers on international human rights law, and in particular, I specialize in the inter-American human rights system. My lecture today will focus on the role and contentious jurisdiction of the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. The history of the Inter-American hum human rights system is a long one that started with the adoption of the American Declaration on the Rights and Duties of Man in 1948, followed by the, uh, by the adoption of a resolution um, during the fifth meeting of Consultation of Ministers of Foreign Affairs in 1959, creating the Inter-American Commission of Human Rights and entrusting the Inter-American Council of Jurists with drafting uh, a Convention on Human Rights that would envision the creation of an Inter-American Court of Human Rights. The Inter-American Commission of Human Rights became a principal organ of the Organization of American States with the adoption of the Protocol of Buenos Aires, amending the OEA's charter in 1977. The adoption of the American Convention on Human Rights in 1969 established the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights as a treaty body and created the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. The court was set up in 1978, once the American Convention on Human Rights entered into force. The Inter-American Court of Human Rights is made up of seven members who must be nationals of the state members of the Organization of American States, not two judges may be nationals of the same state. The only exception in the history of the court is Judge Thomas Burgenthal a U.S. national who was nominated by Costa Rica to be a member of that tribunal in the first composition of the court. According to the American Convention on Human Rights and the statute of the court, judges to the court are elected in their individual capacity. In other words, they don't represent the states that nominate them. Additionally, they must comply with the following requirements. They must be jurists of highest moral authority, they must have recognized competence in the fields of human rights. They must have the qualifications required for the exercise of the highest judicial functions under the law of the state of which they are nationals or of the state that proposes them as candidates. In contrast to other systems or international courts, there are no requirements of gender, geographical distribution, or representation of the different legal systems of the region in the American Convention of Human Rights or in the statute of the court for the election of judges to the court. However, in 2016, the General Assembly of the Organization of American States adopted a resolution encouraging states to consider in the nomination and election of judges to the court other factors, such as gender, geographical distribution, group population, and legal systems of the hemisphere to ensure a balanced membership of this tribunal. It is expected that the General Assembly will adopt a resolution reiterating these terms in 2017. Even if in its initial practice, the Inter-American Court appointed ad hoc judges when the defendant state did not have a national in the composition of the court and allowed judges to sit in the court when discussing cases against the states of their nationality, that practice was discontinued with the adoption of the Advisory Opinion 20, interpreting Article 55 of the American Convention on Human Rights in 2009. Currently, ad hoc judges may only be appointed into interstate petitions, and judges retain, retain the right to sit in cases 
pertaining to states of their nationality in similar petitions. Consequently, no ad hoc judges may be appointed and no judges of the nationality of the state before the court may sit in a hearing when this tribunal reviews cases stemming from individual complaints. As we will see later, the court has never reviewed an interstate petition, thereby turning this practice into disuse. The court has two types of jurisdiction, a contentious jurisdiction and an advisory jurisdiction. Additionally, the court has the power to issue provisional measures to prevent irreparable damage in cases of extreme gravity and urgency. In contrast to other human rights systems, the court's power to issue interim measures is enshrined in the American Convention on Human Rights in Article 63, Paragraph 2 of this treaty, thereby making these measures binding upon states. The contentious jurisdiction of the court involves the power of this tribunal to review and decide cases. These cases may stem from individual complaints or interstate petitions. In contrast to the European human rights system, the Inter-American Court has never reviewed an interstate case so far. In recent times, two interstate petitions were filed with the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights, but they did not reach the court. Therefore, our analysis will focus on the, procedure, on the, on the proceedings followed in individual complaints for lack of practice in interstate complaints. First, the American Convention on Human Rights provides that for a case to reach the court, all the procedures before the Inter-American Commission must be exhausted. In the case of Viviana Gallardo, a case brought by Costa Rica directly to the court against itself, this tribunal decided that the requirement to exhaust the Commission's procedures cannot be renounced. Second, for the court to review a case, certain jurisdictional grounds must be met, namely those regarding standing, or the so-called jurisdiction ratione persona, the law that the court may apply, or the so-called jurisdiction ratione materia, the time within which the facts must have occurred, or the so-called jurisdiction ratione temporis, and the place where the facts must have transpired, or the so-called jurisdiction ratione loci. I will go through these jurisdictional grounds next. The, the jurisdiction ratione persona involves who may bring a case before the Inter-American Court of Human Rights and against whom such case may be brought. On the first issue, only a state and the Inter-American Commission may bring a case before the court. In contrast to the Inter-American Commission, where any person, group of person, or non-governmental organizations may bring complaints, individuals or organizations are not allowed to take cases to the consideration of the Inter-American Court. For a while, there was a discussion on adopting a protocol to provide direct access of victims to the court, but such instrument never came to fruition. In any event, around 2000, the Inter-American Commission changed its rules of procedure and decided that all the complaints that have been resolved by this organ will be referred to the court if the defending state fails to comply with the recommendations issued in reports adopted under Article 50 of the American Convention. This presumption does not operate if the absolute majority of the members of the Commission issues a recent decision to the country. In practice, this rule has meant that today almost all the complaints decided by the Commission are referred to the consideration of the court. When the cases reach the court, 
the victims or their representatives enjoy an autonomous participation in the proceedings. In other words, then they may make their own legal arguments, file evidence, and request measures of reparations independently from the Commission. Additionally, cases may only be brought against states that have ratified the American Convention on Human Rights and have recognized the contentious jurisdiction of the court. This recognition involves an additional declaration to the ratification of the treaty. In its consistent case law, the court has ruled that when making such declaration, states may only limit the scope of its jurisdiction through the introduction of authorized reservations or limitations. These authorized limitations are part of an exhaustive list included in Article 62, Paragraph 2 of the American Convention, stating that declarations may be made on conditions of reciprocity for a specified period or for specified cases. Other limitations that those listed in that provision would be considered incompatible with the object and purpose of the American Convention. Additionally, the court has ruled that once a declaration is made recognizing the contentious jurisdiction of the court, the American Convention does not provide for the withdrawal of such declaration. Thus, the only alternative to withdraw from the court's jurisdiction is to denounce the American Convention itself. Since the court came up with this interpretation in the Bronstein case and the Constitutional Court case, both against Peru, two states have denounced the American Convention. The jurisdiction ratione materia refers to the law that the court is authorized to apply and find violations under the American Convention on Human Rights. In the Las Palmeras versus Colombia case, the court concluded that under Article 62, Paragraph 3, it only has the power to interpret and apply the American Convention on Human Rights, thereby rejecting the call from the Commission to find additional violations of Common Article 3 of the Geneva Convention in that case. The only exception to this rule is the application of other inter-American human rights treaties that award jurisdiction to the court to review compliance with those instruments and find violations. Two examples of those, those treaties are the additional protocol to the American Convention of Human Rights on Economic, Social, and Cultural Rights, the so-called Protocol of San Salvador, which provides the Inter-American Court with jurisdiction to supervise compliance with two rights of that treaty, and the Inter-American Convention on Forces Appearances of Persons, among others. Furthermore, the court, in line with the practice of other international human rights treaties, uses other sources of international law, including treaties and custom international law, as well as soft law and international and domestic jurisdiction, to inform the interpretation of the provisions of the American Convention. The court does not apply, apply those sources, but it uses them to provide content to the articles of the Convention, particularly when those provisions are phrased in general terms. For example, the court has traditionally resorted to the UN Conventions of the Right of the Child when interpreting Article 19 of the American Convention on Human Rights, which protects the right of children in general terms. This practice started with a seminal case of the street children, or Pichagran Morales case versus Guatemala, and has followed in many other subsequent cases. Additionally, uh, the court used the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of Persons with Disability to interpret rights of the American Convention in the Fulan versus Argentina case. 
Likewise, the court resorted to customary international humanitarian law rules to interpret the right, the right to life in the case of Afro-descendant communities displaced from the Kakarika River Basin, the so-called Operation Genesis versus Colombia case. The court has asserted its power to use these other international sources on the basis of Article 31, Paragraph 3 of the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties and Article 29 of the American Convention on Human Rights, which enshrines the pro-omine principle. Also, the court has concluded that it does not have jurisdiction to find violations to inter-American declarations, such as the American Declaration on the Rights and Duties of Man and the Democratic Charter but it may resort to them to interpret the American Convention on Human Rights. With respect to the jurisdiction ratione temporis, the court has applied the principle of non-retroactive application of treaties under Article 28 of the Vienna Convention on the Law of Treaties. The only exception to this principle are the so-called continuous violations. In other words, violations that start before a state has ratified the American Convention and recognized the jurisdiction of the court, but continued after the state has done so. In its case law, the court has characterized the forced disappearances of persons, situations of denial of justice, forced displacement, and denial of nationality as continuous violations. Interestingly, the Inter-American Court only asserts jurisdiction with respect to the facts that have occurred after a state has recognized its contentious jurisdiction. If a state has ratified the American Convention and recognized the court's jurisdiction at different times, the facts transpiring between the two would now fall within the jurisdiction of the court. The court considers that the state may still be found responsible for the breach, for, for the breach of provisions of the Convention, but the court cannot assert its jurisdiction to declare them. Lastly, the jurisdiction ratione loci refers to the place where the alleged violations transpire. Article 1, paragraph 1 of the American Convention provides that the states must respect and ensure the rights protected therein within their jurisdiction. Even if it is clear under international law that jurisdiction does not coincide with the notion of territory, the Inter-American Court has not yet have the opportunity to entertain that discussion in its case law. The court will have that opportunity when adopting advisory opinion number 23 requested by Colombia, which touches upon the extraterritorial application of the American Convention on Human Rights. Thus, in contrast to the heated debate taking place at the European human rights system regarding the extraterritorial application of human rights obligations, the Inter-American Court has not had the opportunity to matter to rule on that matter so far. Once the court concludes that it has jurisdiction and no other uh, additional admissibility issues of the complaint are pending, it may move to the determination of the facts and the law. If the court finds that a state is in breach of the American Convention on Human Rights and or other Inter-American treaties, it may establish the international responsibility of the state for such violations and award reparations. The court has concluded that article, Articles 1, Paragraph 1, and 2 of the American Convention constitutes lex specialis for purposes of determining the international responsibility of states. Thus, a state's international responsibility 
in the Inter-American system is assessed on the basis of the duties to respect and ensure under Article 1, Paragraph 1, and the obligation to adopt measures under Article 2 of the treaty. Even if Colombia claimed claim in the Mapi Palm massacre case that the court had to attribute responsibility on the basis of the principles of responsibility of states for internationally wrongful acts adopted by the International Law Commission in 2001, the court rejected such claim and concluded that the American Convention provides its own rules to make such attribution. Once the court has decided on the international responsibility of the state for a breach of the American Convention on Human Rights or other inter-American treaties, it must decide on whether reparations must be awarded to redress those breaches. Article 63, paragraph 1 of the American Convention provides specifically that if the court finds that there was a violation of the right, right protected by the Convention, the court shall rule that the insured party be ensured the enjoyment of the rights violated. If that is not possible, or if it is appropriate, the court will rule that the consequences of the measure or situation that constituted the breach of such right be remedied, and that fair compensation be paid to the insured party. On the basis of this provision, the court has stated the reparation for a breach of a right under the American Convention requires as much as possible the full restitution or the reestablishment to the situa to situation prior to the violation, also known as the principle of restitution in integra. If that is not possible, the court has embraced the notion of integral reparation, which entails not only the payment of compensatory damages but also the award of measures of rehabilitation, measures of satisfaction, and measures of non-repetition. Given the gross violations of human rights state by the court in its case law, one of the most important developments has been a consistent approach to ordering a state to investigate and punish the perpetrators of such violations as a measure of non-repetition. The court has also ordered to publish the outcomes of uh, those investigations to ensure the right to truth of all members of the society in the concerned state. The jurisprudence on reparations developed by the court is one of the most expansive and creative aspects of its work. Certainly, have, some experts have pointed out that these measures are not always complied with. But when assessing the impact of these measures, it is important to take into account that the court decides only about 20 cases per year, and that each of these cases usually represent a structure, a structural situations in the case against which the case is decided. Adopting these expansive measures of reparation is a way for the court to tackle situations that transcends the facts of the case itself, and address those structural or systematic violations affecting individuals or groups in the state concerned. Finally, it is important to dedicate a few words to the process of supervision of state compliance with the judgments of the Inter-American Court. In contrast to the European human rights system, where there is a body entrusted with the power to supervise compliance with the European Court judgments, in the Inter-American system, this function is carried out by the Inter-American Court itself. 
Article 67 of the American Convention states that the judgment of the court is final and not subject to appeal. Article 68 provides that state parties to the treaty undertake to comply with the judgment of the court in any case in which they are parties. On the other hand, Article 65 provides that the court will submit an annual report to the Organization of American States General Assembly in which it will indicate the states that are not complying with its judgments. In spite of this provision, from its first case, Velasquez Rodriguez versus Honduras, the court developed a procedure to supervise compliance with its judgments. Later on, this power was articulated by the court on the basis of the provisions of the American Convention and state practice in the Vienna Ricardo and others case. In that case, the concerned state challenged the court's practice, arguing that the power to supervise compliance was not spelled out by the American Convention. The court found that it has jurisdiction to, to supervise compliance based on several provisions of the American Convention on, on Human Rights, including Articles 33, 62, and 65 of the treaty, as well as on the constant and uniform practice of states that have, that have accepted the exercise of this power, which resulted, according to the court, in the creation of opinion juris. Moreover, according to the court, the supervision of compliance with judgment is one of the elements of the notion of jurisdiction, and the court, as an international tribunal, has the power to, de to determine the scope of its own jurisdiction. After asserting its power to supervise compliance, the court incorporated uh, the steps of these proceedings into its regulations. In essence, supervision of compliance is carried out on the basis of the periodic submission of state reports, complemented by observations to those reports by the victims and the Inter-American Commission. If necessary, the court will summon the parties to a private or public hearing, depending on the case. Ultimately, the court issues resolutions assessing the level of compliance with the reparations according in the case. The process continues until the court decides that the judgment is fully complied by the state. To conclude, it is important to underline that the Inter-American Court, through its contentious jurisdiction, it fulfills the essential role of protecting victims in an hemisphere that still confronts serious human rights violation, deep inequality, and inadequate access to justice. The judgments of the court provide not only redress for the victims in the cases, but they also transcend the facts of the specific cases to tackle structural situations that affect other individuals placed in similar conditions. Certainly, compliance with judgments still remains a challenge to address in the inter-American system. But the court's substantive and reparation case law has had a tremendous impact at the international and domestic level in all the states that made up the inter-American human rights system.